Welcome to the Raising Great Kids podcast. I'm your host, Kendra Fleming. Today, we're interviewing one of my long-term friends and fellow leaders, Beth Chadwick. Beth is the children's ministry leader at one of our area churches, Decatur City Church. She is a wise and talented leader, as well as an awesome parent. Today, I'm asking Beth to share a story from her childhood. It's a powerful story. It's a vulnerable story. It's a story that most people don't know about her. It's Beth's story of being a young black girl raised in the South and how the preferences of others began to pick away at how she viewed herself. My hope is that this interview will inspire you to teach and to model your children to welcome and to celebrate the differences that they see in themselves and the differences that they see in the people around them. I'm so happy to talk with you today. We have been friends for a long time. Yes, ma'am. And I'm so thankful for everything that you do in ministry. It is incredible what you carry. And it's been a crazy season lately. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. So tell all of us a little bit more about your family and about what you do and just introduce yourself to us. Okay. (laughs) Um, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, My name's Beth, like you said, and I'm married to Ian. We've been married for almost 19 years. Mm -hmm. Next next week will be 19. Um, And we have four kids. Mm -hmm. We have a daughter, Ellison, who's 16. Jude is 13. Asher's 11. And then we have a little tiny Adley Grace, who's six. I say little tiny, but she's really not (laughs) little tiny. She's um, she's really a special little one. She's actually a rainbow baby of ours. Um, so we have one more little girl in heaven as well um, in between those last two. So, yeah, um, I have been around North Point churches for almost as long as I've been married, honestly. Like in 2002, my husband and I got married and I quit my corporate job and we moved to Austria where he played professional basketball. Um, and pretty soon after we landed, we realized, oh, there are no churches here, and they're definitely not in English. So we found North Point online um, and downloaded sermons every week and just grew to love it um, week after week. So I feel like North Point's been a part of my story for, like I said, almost as long as I've been married. Um, about seven years after that point, um, we actually, well, during the the next season, we worked, I worked at North Point for seven years in children's ministry, and that's where I got to know you and um, got introduced just to this wonderful world of impacting families. Um, And then we took it on the road, like literally took three kids and flew to Europe. Um, It was a, a hard decision, but it was a good decision, and I believe it's just made us richer as a family, and um, we were there for seven and a half years, and really just imparting everything we know about North Point into a church in Germany, and now we're back. Yeah. 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 Well, I remember getting your newsletters and your emails and kind of following along with your journey, and wow, what a brave thing to take American kids to Germany and all that I can imagine that entailed, but what a cool experience as well, right? Yeah, it was yeah. it was really cool. And yeah. one of the things I wanted to say, because it's mm-hmm. pertinent to what we're going to talk about, is we are an interracial family. Oh, 
Um, and so my husband is white, I'm African-American, and we've got four biracial kids. So we just keep the adventures rolling. Yeah. Well, you know, as a team, we've been talking for a while about how do we support our families who are wanting to teach their kids to see racial differences, to celebrate racial differences. Uh, I know for many parents around the topic of racism, they feel frozen sometimes or they feel unsure about how to proceed in this conversation with their kids. And so we decided to start the discussion with a story from your childhood, which for as long as I've known you, when you told me the story the other day, I not only was moved, incredibly moved by how powerful your story is, but I was also surprised that I did not know this about you. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, I'm excited to get in and let parents and families like really hear a really powerful moment from your life. Yeah. You know, I'm excited to share and Mm -hmm. Um, maybe that kind of feels like a weird adjective because it's it's a hard thing to talk about um, issues of race, but I feel like it's important to share and it's important for um, people who we're rubbing shoulders with that they know and that you know my story and you it helps us all understand how we're perceiving the world yes. so much better. Yeah. So stories definitely help us learn. I know they help me learn on a regular basis, like even to learn something new about you, but about the world around us and friends, and we experience stories through emotions. So thank you for sharing your story. So we're going to jump in, and I want you to just start at the beginning. So just tell us a little bit about your childhood. Yes. You know, when I think back to my childhood, I think one of the things I loved about Europe is because it really reminded me a lot of my own childhood in terms of just the idyllic nature of it. Um, you know, I we had sidewalks outside of my house, and I can remember riding the bike, um, playing with friends all the time, going to the corner store, mm-hmm. and buying little candies or bags of chips. Um, and my neighborhood in Charleston, South Carolina, was predominantly black, mm-hmm. um, as well as the schools that I went to. And, you know, Charleston is gorgeous. So many of us have had the chance to visit um, but it's still a very segregated city in many places. Um, and the area that I lived in was pretty much all black. Um, and I didn't know anything different. It's just yeah. what it was. I went to church with all black people. Um, yeah, I went to school. And when I was in the fourth grade, I remember my favorite teacher, Miss Grimmage, she just loved my name. Mm-hmm. And she only had a son. His name was Gerald. And she always said, if I ever have a child, I'm going to name her Tatanisha, mm-hmm. um, which is my born name. And I just remember feeling like just a princess mm-hmm. because she just really doted on me. I was definitely a teacher's pet. Um, Shocker. <laughs> but she just drew something out of me and really just showed so much value um, for me as a person. Because she so. loved your name. She did. Yeah. She loved my name. So a little bit of time goes by and your parents tell you that you're moving. So tell me about that. Yeah, we, um, around the end of my fourth grade year, my parents announced that we were moving. Um, and there were some hard circumstances that led to that move as a kid. It was very sudden. Um, we weren't expecting it. Um, but we moved about 30 minutes away to Somerville, South Carolina. Um, and Somerville is actually the place that a lot of Charlestonians would go and vacation to get away from the mosquitoes. 
Um, so there was a great amount of wealth in this area, um, predominantly white. So all of a sudden, this 10-year-old, you know, black girl is thrust into this new situation um, with white classmates, all white teachers, and I didn't know where I was or like, okay, how, how do we do this? And I remember looking at other black students for cues as to like, what is this like? Like I've had never experienced that before. So. And I remember when you were telling me, you said like parents really shouldn't underestimate kind of the trauma you felt mm -hmm. in uprooting from one community that you were very, very comfortable in, uh, into a completely different community. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit about what school was like, mm -hmm. uh, and kind of what transpired as you grew up. Yeah. You know, um, I actually was listening to um, a great podcast last night that was encouraging African-Americans to really own their own racial stories. Mm -hmm. And I've kind of been doing that over the past few years without really naming it that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I remember this contrast so greatly. I think it's because the teacher in fourth grade loved my name and I got to this new school and the teachers looked down at the paper and she was like, Tata, what? Mm. And I was like, oh, it's Tatanisha. Oh, that's too hard. We're going to have to call you something else. Mm. And I was just stunned as a kid. Like, I'd never been anywhere where someone renamed me yeah. because of their own level of like, that's too hard. I'm not going to be able to do that. You're going to need to do what I tell you. Um, and I have always been a very compliant, like obedient child. And so, of course, if the teacher said that's what I needed to do, that's what I did. So, um, yeah, she renamed me in that moment to T. Beth. And my middle name is Beth. And so I was T. Beth from that time until around the seventh grade. I actually got really tired of the first day of school and middle school is the worst because, you know, you have all the periods. And so yeah. period after period, I went through this, like, you know, how do you say this name? Yeah. What, it, you know? And so finally, by the seventh grade, I just decided mm -hmm. before school started, like, I wanted to be the first one in the classroom. And I went in and told my teachers, like, please don't say my name aloud. Just call me Beth. Wow. Mm-hmm. So how did that make you feel? I really, like, I really can't imagine a teacher saying, I mean, I, I know it's true, but I just, as a parent, I can't quite imagine a teacher saying, I don't like your name, or I can't say your name, or I'm, it's too hard, or whatever her reason was, mm -hmm. and changing your names. But how did that make you feel as a kid? You know, I felt really embarrassed. Mm -hmm. um, I felt right away like I didn't belong. Um, I felt like I could never fit in here. And I learned um, to code switch mm -hmm. right away. I learned like, okay, there's things that I can do and be here that are okay and that will make other people feel great. Mm -hmm. And there are things that I cannot do or say or names that I cannot bear mm -hmm. that um, will make life harder for me. You know, every parent kind of gets this opportunity to name their own kid. And... Uh, 
you know, you love your kids' names. I remember even before I was married, dreaming up what my baby's names mm-hmm. were going to be. I bet you did that too, Beth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how did it feel to your parents? Or, like, did they know this was happening with you? You know, I, this was back in the 80s. Yeah. And um, nowadays we have the advantage of so many resources. And honestly, like, my parents, they didn't even really realize what what I was going through at school. And I think a lot of times I just... I didn't want them to have to worry about that. They had their own issues and felt like it wasn't something I could talk about with them. And they called me a nickname at home. Mm-hmm. So um, Tatanisha was my like name out in the world. Yeah. Um, but I do remember telling them I wanted to go by Beth, and they didn't really ask mm-hmm. any other questions. I mean, Beth was a name that they had given me as well, but um, they didn't understand the complexities, I think, behind why I didn't want to go by Tatanisha anymore. Mm-hmm. You kind of alluded to it a minute ago, but you basically begin to feel like there was an advantage to fitting in if you changed something about yourself mm-hmm. or changed your name. Goodness mm-hmm. sakes, your identity, your name. What did that kind of do to you internally when you, I got to believe that had internal conflict along with it. What did that do to you internally? You know, I think... Um One of the things that I'm learning in just this discovery of my own racial story is how often I had learned to switch into whatever was necessary to succeed. Um, And so I think I really, honestly, Kendra didn't really let it sink in Mm -hmm. at that age. But um, now at 43, I let myself go back there. And I let myself remember, like, no, that really did happen to you. And when I see my own Mm 11-year-old and I think about the pain that that causes, or, like, I see him get hurt or upset, and then he immediately shields it and runs away, that's what I did at those ages. I just was learning how to survive, you know. Um, So I think in the last few years, I've definitely processed it more, and Mm -hmm. there was this, I love Goodwill. Yeah. (laughs) I do. I cannot share that love. I I love plants. I share that love with you, but I do not love goodwill. (laughs) Love is maybe a strong word. I love a good bargain. And um, so every now and then I'll go into goodwill to like look for a fun find. Uh And I happened to find this really beautiful mug and it had a tea on it. Uh And I bought it and brought it home Uh and shared with my friends on Marco Polo, look what I found, because it was just this kind of like... Mm-hmm. It's okay to embrace my yeah. name. Like, so take it back. Yeah. Right? It's a beautiful name. Take yeah. it back. Yeah. Well, I know you have four kids. They have beautiful names. I have four kids too. And like, what do you think is the importance or value of a name for it? Mm. Well, it's so funny because that is one of the things that it was just extremely important. Like you said, all moms when you and dads too, when we're thinking about naming our kids, it's a big deal. Yeah. And um, for our kids, they have names that correspond to like different seasons in our lives. Um, Ellison, for example, her name means the Lord is God. And it was a time when Ian and I were really like discovering what we believe together. Um, and we really owned our faith. And um, Jude was, we were just talking about this, NICU three weeks. And his name means praise God. And so his life, his entire life is a praise. Um, 
and Asher means happy and blessed. Oh, really? Yes, <laughs> because it was during this season uh-huh. where, like, for us, we we're like, okay, th- I think we can do this. Mm-hmm. Let's do a third, you know. Um, and Adley's name is a reference to the sovereignty of God, um, again, because she's our rainbow baby. And just this, like, mm-hmm. idea that, God, we still trust you. And, and you're capable of great things, even when it doesn't turn out like we, we think it should. So, yeah, yeah, so names carry blessing. They mm-hmm. carry meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, they mean you belong because your parents have woven a story along with your name. Right. Like you clearly have for your own kids. Mm-hmm. A child's name is really important part it of their is. identity, mm-hmm. for sure. So looking back, how do you feel like this impacted uh, you as a teenager or a young mm-hmm. woman growing up? Yeah, well, as I mentioned, um, I married a wonderful white man. Yes. <laughs> and, He's a good guy. Um, he is a good one. Um, and I can remember the day my name officially died. Mm-hmm. Um, we were going to get our marriage license, and I actually shortly thereafter changed my Social Security card and was filling out the papers. Um, and anyways, the clerk who was working, I just left Tatanisha off and put Beth McDougal Chadwick and um, that was and that's now my official name so Tatanisha is gone and you know I think at that point for me I hadn't used the name in so long Mm -hmm. Ian and I were having some real tough times around not he and I together but just the dynamics of people who weren't for us getting married because of racial issues And so it was a really heightened time in my life of insecurity in my race and insecurity of just wanting to to fit in even more than I had already learned. So, yeah. 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 It helps us learn. It helps me learn, like, a deeper insight of how that moment would have Mm -hmm. felt to, like, officially your name is gone mm-hmm. and and really kind of the why around it as mm-hmm. well. So, okay, so let's talk about your own kids. Okay. Your own kids who are growing uh, 6 to 16, we mm-hmm. said, right? Yeah. Yep. So what are some things that you're trying to instill in them around mm-hmm. their own personal identity and their sense of who they are and where they belong? Mm-hmm. I think um, one of the most important things for us is – one of the things I get to teach kids every single week, yeah. that God loves them, um, God makes them, and he's crazy about them. And I feel like if our kids can learn that and really hold on to it and believe it, that that is one of the biggest identity shapers. Um, and so from the time they've been tiny, we have just been preaching that to them. Um, and even my 16-year-old still gets Wombaland lessons <laughs> or upstreet lessons or whatever is applicable. she likes it or not. Yeah, because it's true. She needs and them. I'm just like, I want your heart to know the truth about who you are. So for Ian and I, that's number one. It's yeah. just, who am I in Christ? What does he think of me? Like, what does he think of this brown skin? Yeah. Um, and the answer is always, he loves it. Yeah. He's wild about it. Um, And I think after that, teaching them to love who they are, because I think a lot of my own story has just been wound up in this idea of not really being okay with who I am, and that affects how we can love others. It affects how we see the world and how much we can impact the world if we don't have a true love for who we are. So, yeah. Well, we talk a lot on this podcast about how 
uh, family, but ex parents in specific, give children a real sense of belonging. And if kids have that, they can almost withstand anything else. And I just know you and Ian have like intentionally built that for your kids mm -hmm. in such a strategic and important way. So are there any like practical conversations that you have with your kids or practical activities or uh, or kind of things that you talk about with your kids that are either around this topic of pride in who you are and belief. I know we talked about belief that God made you or even just their personal identity. Uh, is there anything that is real practical in that realm that you talk with your kids about? Um, you know, it, we have a wide range of kids. Yeah. So that's, um, <laughs> that keeps us on our toes. But I think like um, one of the things I love is our girls book and our kids. And so a lot of what I do with Adley now has come from being able to see a 16-year-old Ellison. Um, and I feel like helping them as people with brown skin to mm -hmm. see themselves in the world has been extremely important. Um, and also with having a white father who affirms them and who believes their stories um, is also important. So around the dinner table, we sometimes get into heated discussions about like things that are happening in the world, mm -hmm. of course, age appropriately, but, um, you know, or things they encounter at school. Like we try to keep really open ears yeah. um, and if they haven't heard about something, then we figure out how to, to let them in on like, hey, this happened and you may catch wind of it at school or, um, but constantly having conversations about what's going on in the world and mm -hmm. in the racial climate, for example. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, Beth, I know you shared with me like some real life examples of things that you are super empathetic to because of your own life experience where you see uh, families in schools that you can tell like aren't feeling comfortable or aren't being welcomed in or maybe at sporting events or just different places in our community with our kids. So tell me a little bit about like things that you observe and that we could maybe learn from and be more empathetic or notice ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, I, um, I think one of the short stories I shared with you was just a, a preschool example. Yeah. I'd noticed that there was a mother um, who was of foreign descent, and mm -hmm. she was clearly just kind of like a fish out of water. She was sitting over at a table all by herself. And I noticed at this particular preschool, I was also new this year, that year, and um, a lot of the moms who knew each other just flocked together. Sure. Because as moms, you know, you're like, oh, finally, I get to talk to my kid, you know, my friends. Um, so I did actually go over and I talked to her and um, she had a really difficult name, but she helped me learn how to say it well. And by the end of the conversation, I was saying it well. And she was like, wow, you're really good at that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I had had a little bit of experience with her culture and was able to pick up with some conversation around a dish I'd tried. Or, um, and we kind of naturally got there after talking about our kids mm -hmm. Um, so I just found some common ground mm -hmm. and was determined, like, hey, I want her to know that she's seen. And I understand what it's like to be a foreigner because yeah. I have been a foreigner. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's just important for us to recognize who's different in the room, mm -hmm. to see um, life through their eyes for a minute, to think about, like, what could that be like? 
and to engage with them. Um, yeah, to invite and engage. I so. love how you said you wanted to make sure she w- knew she was seen by you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even when I think back to the teacher who wanted to change your name, it was sort of like her own uncomfortableness got in the way. Like she focused on how she felt. Mm-hmm. And in this situation that you're sharing or other situations we can all think of, uh, overcoming our own uncomfortableness for the sake of someone else. I mean, mm-hmm. if everybody did that, that mm-hmm. would be like world changing, right? It really would be. It would really be world changing. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things I've thought about this a lot, just mm-hmm. um, one of the things that can help us is learning a little bit about a different culture mm-hmm. on our own. And some of the most practical things are, for example, you know, there are movies with um, primarily black casts. Mm-hmm. Like, choose to watch those with your family if you're not a family with mm-hmm. black you know, people in them. Um, Read books by black authors, like listen to music by black people, like just integrate that into your world so that you do have common ground and you do know when the opportunity rises to engage in conversation or to notice something like, you know, It'll make it a lot easier. Yeah, such good advice. Okay, so what do you think parents can do? I mean, you just started alluding to it a little bit to help their kids uh, see differences, welcome differences, Mm -hmm. uh, celebrate differences, like recognize that that's what makes our world an amazing place, that we are all different people. But kids don't do that naturally. They naturally... uh, if we're not careful, can gravitate to the same, just like the moms did in the preschool that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. What are things we can do as parents to help our kids grow in that area? Mm -hmm. Um, I think, obviously, I would love to say, oh, you know, Mm -hmm. embrace another family of color or have a relationship with them. But I think there are a lot of steps that come before that. Um, I think that really, if you have uh, children who are not of color, Mm -hmm. one of the most important things is, introducing books in your home that do have people of color in them or um, instead of only buying one type of doll, buy another type of doll to let kids play and explore. Um, When you see a mom on the playground of color with her child to help your child see like, oh, you know, look at that mommy. She's so kind to her kid or look at that dad, like point out the differences and help your kids understand that like, you know, although skin color may be different, there are some things that we should celebrate and embrace that we all have, like being good parents, for example. Um, And I do think if you notice on your child's class list, for example, you see, oh, there's some names that look different. Ask your child about them. You know, who is this? What do you know about them? Maybe we can have them over for a play date. Like if you're a really social parent Mm -hmm. and you love having everyone at your house, invite them. Um, So, yeah, just really looking and being on the lookout for different and um, looking for ways to celebrate. And those things will eventually lead to friendships. Sure. I love that. Okay, you are an incredible parent. I've watched you parent for a really long time. We, we were remembering the story from baby Jude being born, and sometimes from a distance, sometimes up close, sometimes from a newsletter in Germany. I've watched you be a very intentional, mm-hmm. loving parent. So as we wrap up, is mm-hmm. there any like parting advice or any parting words you would like to leave with our families? 
You know, I think um, my parting advice comes from just being a mom of color. And I would say, you know, we're all on a journey to raise incredible human beings. We really are. And it would help the grand picture of parenthood if we could all get behind the idea that we're all beautiful and we're all made in God's image because there are children who will struggle to believe that simply because of the skin they've been born in and the environments in which they're growing up in. And don't underestimate um, the stories of pain. Um, Believe those stories and, yeah, move towards uncomfortable and realize, like, if you're uncomfortable for two seconds, imagine that little girl on the other side of being told her name is too hard like what that can do to a lifetime. So thanks for challenging all of us, because imagine if every teacher, every coach, every neighbor, every friend thought my, my goal is to make sure that child feels valuable and wonderful and accepted for who she is. I mean, that would Mm -hmm. be a really incredible difference we could make. So great advice, Beth. Beth, thank you so much for sharing your story. I know uh, that is a vulnerable and personal story, and I appreciate it. I learned a lot when you shared it with me. I felt challenged when you shared it with me. I still have a lot to learn, but I feel like our parents are going to walk away from this discussion embracing that they can really help their kids uh, learn more about races and racism and helping children feel accepted Mm -hmm. and belonging. So thank you. Thank you. Thank Thank you you so much. All right, parents, I hope you feel inspired to help your kids grow a strong sense of their own personal identity. I hope you feel inspired to help them belong. But even more than that, I hope you feel inspired to encourage, equip, model, teach your kids what it looks like to love those who are different than us. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon.